Good morning, everybody. And uh, I'm so glad that you're here today. How many of you woke up to snow this morning? You know, that's quite a few. Anybody that's at high had snow. All of us Flatlanders were like, what? We missed? Yeah. So anyway, just glad that you're here today. It's funny that we're talking about water in the middle of the drought, one of the you know, uh, biggest droughts that we've ever been through in California going on. I grew up in Oklahoma. Uh, when I go back home now, it's just fascinating to me. They've been in a drought now for probably 10 years uh, where I'm from. And just seeing the difference that happens in the whole countryside with a lack of water. And today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about uh, water, we're going to talk about physical water, but we're going to talk about uh, another kind of water that's available to us, and we're going to talk about thirst, uh, physical thirst and spiritual thirst as well, and how these words that Jesus spoke from the cross, he speaks into us in a way that will allow us to have our spiritual thirst fulfilled. Uh, It's going to be, to me... Someone told me after a second service that they'd never, ever heard a message on these words, and uh, I don't think I had either. And so it took a lot of work digging in uh, to these words just to look at what it was that I really feel that God wanted us to hear about today, and so that's what we're going to do. So I want to invite you to grab your message notes out of your program. Uh, You can look inside these and on front and back. We'll be taking notes today. All the Bible verses we'll use will be there, and you can write some notes in. I just want to encourage you, if you don't own a Bible... Uh, that we have Bibles that are available for people to use while they're here, but also if you don't own one, that you just feel free to take one when you leave today. It's our gift to you. We'd love to see you have a Bible in your home so you can read it yourself, uh, some of the words that we're going to look at. So you want to open to John chapter 19 if you have your Bible, and we're going to look at these words that Jesus spoke, and we're in this series on the seven last words that Jesus spoke. And they spoke them all from the cross, and we're taking them one by one, these phrases, and looking at them. And we're on word five, or five phrase today, and we're kind of, uh, in a way, winding down. Even though they're not in significance, it's winding down in the order of intensity. Uh, Last week was probably the most intense words that we looked at. Uh, when we looked at, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the most confusing. People have been, for, you know, for years confused about what did those actually mean. I just want to encourage you, if you weren't here last week, that you want to go out and watch it, uh, especially when you get to the section about substitution and uh, what does that actually mean and then how does that apply to us and the victory that we can have in Jesus, uh, both in this life as we're living and in our struggles and being clean before him. So just encourage you if you would do that. And today we're going to look at these words, I thirst. Look at the verse at the top of your notes, 19, through 20, uh, 19, 28 through 30. And it says this, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. So he's taken the sins of the world, uh, we talked about last week. And now to fulfill scripture, or in order to be able to say that uh, he has accomplished all that the Old Testament prophesied about him, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. So in context, next week when we come back, we're going to look at those words, it is finished, next week. So you're going to get them in context, back to back, as we look at those as we go through this. I just want to jump right in today. Kind of the way that we're doing this series is, here's what Jesus meant when he said the words, and then here's how that can apply to me. So let's look at what his words expressed, what he was trying to say as he spoke them from the cross. And the first one is this, this word of Jesus expresses his full humanity. The first thing we want to look at, it expresses his full humanity. 
Now, I, I think John shares this quote uh, from the last words of Jesus, if for no other reason, to show us and make the point that Jesus was fully human. Uh, he was a real human being that died on the cross on that day. Uh, what happened is, as we understand this whole complex thing about how Jesus came as God and man, uh, when we look at Philippians, it helps us to be a little more clear about this, Philippians 2. But what happens is, is that Jesus basically, when he came and was born, he was man and God, and he gave up his godly prerogatives or his godly functions, and meaning that he gave up his ability to change things as a God would, as God would, and he became fully human as well, and he lived within the limitations of humanity. So that's basically what he did. He lived within the limitations. He became fully human. And so what that meant is, is that he had all the same temptations we face, all the weaknesses we face, all the frailties that we live with, and he would have had the same struggles and the same desires that we have as he lived his life. And so then he says this word, when he says, I am thirsty, he's saying it as the same way that you and I would say that word, I am thirsty. So he was needing a drink of physical water at this point. Uh, the Bible says he was a man well acquainted with our grief, and Jesus was fully human. John earlier had already made this point in John 1. He said, the word became human and made his home among us. So basically, when Jesus spoke these words, he was declaring the fact that he was human and that he needed a drink. So let's kind of help us to set the scene a little bit. Let's go back. So for 15 hours, Jesus, 15 hours ago from what we're reading today, Jesus was arrested in the garden, and then he was taken to his mock trials. He, was gone, he went through all of the you know, beatings and the whippings and the ridicule and everything that he went through. Uh, in this 15-hour period that's leading up to where we are today. Now, the last six hours of the 15 hours, he literally spent on the cross. So he had been beaten. He had been, you know, the, the, the crown of thorns was put on his head, so he had bled. You can imagine he had sweat, and he had not had a drink for 15 hours. The last six, he's been hanging, th the first three of those from 9 to noon, hanging naked on the cross in the sun. And you can imagine that all of this is draining the fluids from him. And so he's getting thirstier the longer this actually goes. And then the last three hours that we talked about last week uh, that were so essential to us understanding uh, what Jesus made possible for us on the cross was that for the last three hours, uh, the darkness came upon the land and Jesus underwent the torment and the punishment of the wrath of God against the sins of the world for three solid hours. God unleashed his anger, and his punishment on the sins that you and I should have had to pay for, and his son took that. And we talked about last week about the intensity of that moment for those three hours. And now at the end of that, end of that, he was on the cross and he yelled out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we talked last week about the fact that those were words of trust, where he had just been through the most difficult circumstance any human being would ever face. And because he had gone through that, he was depleted and that he was needing the presence of God, but he was also proclaiming his trust in God, even though he had been through this difficulty. And those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, were tr words of trust. If you look at the psalm, Psalm 22, where they came from, they were words spoken about the psalmist's trust in God 
prophesying forward to be spoken by Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, here's my feeling about this, okay? This is my opinion, okay? Because none of us really know exactly what was going on. But my feeling is Jesus has just endured the sins of the world. He's gone through all of that torment and this difficulty. And we cannot even imagine, folks. We can't even begin to know, even comprehend what that was like for him. And my thought is he's declared his trust in God. And now it's just waiting to die. And so in my mind, he's kind of relaxed for a moment. So it's all the pain. It doesn't mean the pain has gone away, but the intensity that he was feeling has gone away. And so he could actually know what he needed himself physically. For the entire time that he was beaten and persecuted and that he was ridiculed, Jesus, there's never a word recorded that Jesus spoke about his own personal anguish or his own personal pain that he had gone through. But now for the first time, he's able to know what he's feeling physically, you know, how you are. Sometimes you're going through stuff and it's like at the end of it, oh, wow, I was really feeling this, but I wasn't aware. He knows now that he's thirsty and he needs a drink. And so when he calls out, I'm thirsty, that's a cry of humanity saying, I need a drink. I'm thirsty. He's expressing what his humanity was feeling, his full humanity at that moment. So he was fully human. So we got that, fully human. Second thing is this. This word of Jesus on the cross expresses his deep reliance. His deep reliance, or if you want to write down some other synonyms, his dependence or his trust. His deep reliance or his dependence or trust. Now, what I think has happened is, and I know it's true for me, is that sometimes I think we underestimate what Jesus the human went through on the cross. We underestimate what Jesus the human felt during this entire period and what he felt on the cross. And I think unconsciously what we do is that we unconsciously say this. We say, well, okay, Ron, I know it was hard. I know it was difficult. But, you know, after all, he was God. So how hard could it actually be, right? And I think unconsciously we say that or we think that in our minds. But what we need to understand is that he was fully human. And as a human, he needed supernatural strength from outside himself. He needed supernatural strength. Now, I didn't put this verse on your notes. I wish I would have. Didn't think about it in time. Acts 10.38. You want to write that down. You might want to read this in context later. Acts 10.38. Peter is speaking. And this is what Peter says. He's talking to the people. He says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed with the devil, for God was with him. For God was with him. What Peter is doing right here is he is showing us how Jesus the human was able to do what he did while he was here on earth. The source of his strength, the source of his perseverance, the source of his ability to endure his suffering, his temptation, and his pain was his reliance on the Father and the Spirit. His reliance on the Father and the Spirit. Here's what you need to hear. Jesus did not use any resource that is not also available to us. It's going to blow some of you away. You're thinking, well, he was God. Yet, nope. Jesus did not use any resource that is not also available to you and to me. He accessed the Spirit, and he accessed the Father, and that's how he got the strength to face the situation he faced. And so just maybe for some of you, that's your word today right there. 
That in the circumstances you're in, you realize that it's difficult and it's hard, and you've been looking for something from somewhere that will allow you to get through it, and you've been hopeless, and you've, not been, and you've been discouraged. The word for you today is that Jesus endured what he endured, and I have the same resources available to me today that Jesus had available to him when he went through this moment. So... How could he access the Father? How could he access the Spirit? Well, I believe one way is through the knowledge he had of Scripture. It's the knowledge he had of Scripture. Think about Jesus. Think about his life, what you know about him. Okay? He starts his ministry. First thing that happens to him in his ministry is he's led into the wilderness to be tempted, and he's assaulted by the devil. And he's being assaulted by the devil and, devil and tempted by him. Three different temptations. The first thing that Jesus says in all three is, it is written. So in the middle of temptation, he was able to pull from within him the things he knew from God's word that allowed him to fight that temptation. When the Pharisees at another time assaulted him as well, Jesus says to them, you neither believe the scriptures or the power of God. What he's saying to them is that the scriptures are speaking about me, and because you don't believe me, the reason you don't believe me is because you don't believe the scriptures. And I know the scriptures, and the scriptures talk about me and the power of God. So when Peter, at another point, right at the end when Jesus is being arrested, when he takes his sword out and he's going to defend Jesus, Jesus tells him to put the sword away and basically says, I could call angels that could come and deliver me, but if I did, and then he says, how would the scriptures be fulfilled? See, he knew that the scriptures had prophesied that this would happen to him, and if somebody else stepped in and did something different than what he was being led into, the scriptures would not be fulfilled. Scripture was so ingrained in who he is on the way to Calvary. Now, I didn't cover this the first week, but on the way to Calvary, he passed by a group of women. He turned to them and spoke, and as he spoke to them, he quoted from the book of Hosea, book of Hosea. For us, Hosea is in our Old Testament. So many of us are like, wow, I didn't even heard of Hosea before. Well, you know what? Jesus had, and he had memorized it, and then when he needed it, he pulled it out, and he spoke to those women in that moment of his greatest need. And then on the cross, as we talked about last week, when he was hanging there, he quoted Psalm 22.1 that was in his mind. It was memorized by him. He quoted it, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me. And then at the end of his life, one of the last things he said, so that scripture may be fulfilled. So it may be fulfilled. To fulfill the scripture, Jesus had to be aware and fully cognizant and know everything that God's word said. And so in the middle of his agony, in the middle of his suffering, instead of giving in to the temptation to cave or to blame or to take the easy way, he instead took the hardest way possible because he knew that scripture was guiding him that way. Scripture was guiding him that way. Now, most scholars believe that when he said that it should be fulfilled, and he says, I am thirsty, most scholars would agree that that's a reference to Psalm 69. To Psalm 69, and I put the verse there that it's actually referencing, and here's the verse. It says, they give me poison for food, they offer me sour wine for my thirst. And so, if you know, there were already, you know, occasions where Jesus had been offered uh, uh, sour wine or, or wine vinegar and laced with, uh, some believe, with myrrh, and that myrrh would be like a, a sedative that would cause him not to feel pain. 
uh, and he wouldn't take that because he wanted to fully feel everything he was going through. He needed to be fully, you know, at his top game even. He couldn't even be deadened in his pain. But also, it's a uh, gall, and gall was a poison. And they think that maybe the soldiers would give the criminals gall as part of the sour wine drink in order to make them throw up, which would make their pain even worse. And so Jesus knew that as well and declined both of those. See, Jesus knew what the Bible said because he had immersed himself. Let's stay with our metaphor, immersed himself. He had soaked himself in the scripture. And even in this most difficult moment, God's word is what came into his mind and filled him and allowed him to be able to walk through the most difficult thing any human being ever walked on on the face of the planet. He walked and he persevered. I love how Tim Keller writes about Jesus and the scripture. He says this, when you pricked Jesus Christ, when you stabbed Jesus Christ, he literally bled scripture. He knew the scriptures so well. He thought about the scripture so pervasively that they saturated and permeated his whole being and his imagination and his feelings and his will and his knowledge. And this shaped him instinctively. Everything he said came out of a heart and mind that was saturated with God's word. Saturated with God's word. Jesus was committed to all the scriptures. Not one scripture was he not committed to that he would hold dear. And he was committed to fulfilling the ones that said that he would have to suffer. And he would say the words, I am thirsty. So I want to say it again. Jesus did not use any resource that's not available to you and me. Not one. And we have this book, and it's available to us. Look at what he says in Matthew 4, 4. The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word, every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we know that that word is written down, and we have it for us to read. It's the Bible. Now, what's amazing about, I, I just think, you know, kind of the little nuances of life uh, and how sometimes you see God work is that uh, on Thursday, uh, someone said to me, hey, Ron, guess what? Uh, we're having the Bible reading cards in the program this week, and you need to mention those. And they had no idea. I was talking about reading the Bible and how important it is, but here it is. It's in your program, and this is the plan that we use. If you go to uversion.com, there's like 25 different plans there. You can find one that would fit you better if you don't care for this one. So, you know, we're not, you know, this is not like the holy grail here. And so, but this is the one that we like to recommend, and because it'll take you through the Bible, take you through the New Testament twice and the Old Testament once, uh, and so you'll get to read that. And so this is the new card, starts in April, and you can pick it up and you can read. And here's what I want to say about this. You know, it's kind of, there's a lot to read every day. If you choose to read it all, read it all, great. There's not extra credit for reading it all, just so you know. And so, but if you choose to read it all, great, because you'll get more in you as Jesus got in him. And the idea is this, though. If, if, you know, if you're really, you know, struggling with this, is that you read until God speaks to you about himself or you. So you just read until God speaks to you about himself or you, or both, and then you, if you want to, you can stop, and then you write it down. You journal what it is that God spoke to you, so it actually becomes even more real for you. So you can do that if you want, starting on April 1st. Third thing is this. From the cross, Jesus expresses his deepest longing. Okay, now we're going to get to the heart of Jesus. He expressed his deepest longing. Now we're moving into the human heart that longs after God. The human heart, that long, the spiritual heart is what we're talking about right here. The deepest longing that Jesus had was to be with his father. So when he said those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
For three hours, he had been feeling separation from God. For three hours, he had been feeling the sense, had the the sense that God wasn't present, that God had turned his back on him. And so when he cries out this word, I'm thirsty, not just from the need for water to drink, but he was crying out from his spiritual heart. He was saying, I need my father. I need, I long to be with God. I'm thirsty for the living God. So in these words, he's, he's expressing the spiritual hunger that every human has, that every one of us has. Thirst in the Bible represents terminal, agonizing, spiritual yearning and emptiness. That's what it, it gets us to, is this yearning is terminal and it's emptiness, and I'm thirsting for it to be filled for a spiritual thing, and only God can feel that. Only God can feel that. So Jesus was expressing physical thirst, and he was expressing spiritual thirst, and a craving for God. And so, folks, what, do you, what we need to know is without God, without connecting to him, to satisfy you, or to revive you, or to refresh you, or to be the source of all your substance, you will not have your spiritual thirst satisfied. You just won't do it. See, there's something in every one of our souls Every much as, as much as we need water, and we can't live without water. You guys know that if you, you know, I actually Googled this this week because I really was fascinated by how long does it take someone to die of thirst? Somewhere between 9 and 14 days, and there's a process, and you can understand someone who died of thirst in 9 to 14 days. So we will die without physical water, but what we need to know this is that we will not live without spiritual water. We will not live without the spiritual water that he wants to give us that'll satisfy our souls. Here's how Jesus said it earlier. John 4, we're going to come back to John 4 in just a minute, so kind of set the scene. Jesus has been in conversation with a woman at a well, and as they've been in conversation, his disciples had gone to town to buy food because they hadn't eaten, and Jesus was hungry. And so Jesus had this conversation. The disciples come back. Jesus is no longer hungry for physical food, and this is what he says. He says, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. So here's what he's saying. What he's saying here is that I was fed, because folks, here's the deal. If I'm going to do the will of God, I have to do it with God. I can't do the will of God apart from God. So what he's saying is I'm doing the will of God. I'm in his presence. And as I'm in his presence, it's my nourishment and it's feeding me and it's filling me up. And that's what he's saying in those verses. He's saying, I long, I long to be in the presence of God. And he's saying in these verses, I long to do the will of God because that fills me spiritually. Now, Jesus could have quoted verses from Psalm 42. Many of you are familiar with the verse, Psalm 42, verse 1, when it says this, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God, I thirst for the living God. He could have quoted that. That's the heart of what he's saying. That's the heart of what we need to get. That's our deepest hunger, is to be, is to thirst for the living water that comes from God, to be in his presence. Now, turn your notes over to the back side. Let's talk about how that, if, you know, impacts us. Let's talk about us. So from the cross, Jesus offers to satisfy my thirst. So he offers to satisfy my thirst. He offers to satisfy my spiritual thirst. Now, we all thirst, okay? So just know that. We all thirst. We thirst for success. Uh, we, we thirst for fulfillment. Uh, we thirst for comfort. We thirst for recognition. 
We thirst for relationships. We thirst for love. We thirst for friendships. We thirst for possessions. We thirst for power. We search for, uh, thirst for prestige. Uh, we thirst for pleasure. So we all have these thirsts inside of us. And every one of those thirsts is longing to be satisfied in some way. And the problem here is this, that every one of those thirsts, if we seek to have those thirsts satisfied, we will never be satisfied. The Rolling Stones knew it well when they said there will be no satisfaction. You know, we just can't get it. We just can't get it. When we try to get our needs met by worshiping the creation instead of the creator. So when we go after the creation, we will always be left empty. But when we worship the creator and we long for him, he will fill us. He will satisfy the deepest longings of our souls. That deep longing that we all have that goes so, that it propels us forward and causes us to, causes some of us to search all our lives, some of us to keep, you know, hounding God, hounding God for his presence. I want to be with you. I want to be with you because we know that we need something greater than ourselves. And anytime we work to get our needs met or satisfy our longings apart from Christ, we are going to end up empty. Jesus said it to the woman when he was talking to her at the well, when he had said to her, give me a drink of physical water. Then he uses that picture to teach her. And he says this, He says, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring in them, giving them eternal life. Would you underline fresh, bubbling spring? That's what he offers you. See, it's one thing to believe in God. It's quite another to have him be the central focus of your reality. And Jesus is saying, I have the water. I have the water. Drink from me and you will never thirst again. The water I give you will become this fresh bubbling spring inside of you. And then it'll flow out from you to the world. You just won't be able to contain it. It'll just keep flowing out. So here's the reality. Jesus is saying, anyone who looks to anything else other than God to be satisfied will end up empty. And there's even a warning that will be like, eternal emptiness and fire apart from God without that thirst ever being able to be quenched. Or you can look to me and you can have both your spiritual longings now satiated, satisfied, and you will have eternity with me forever in heaven. So what he's saying is we can finally be satisfied. And we don't have to keep going because, you know, the woman at the well, think about this. Um, he had said to her, you know, basically, you've had five husbands and the man you're with now isn't your husband. And those were, some people think those are harsh words or actually very tender words uh, that he was giving her, to her at that moment. And he was just basically saying, you're going from fountain to fountain to fountain trying to get your needs met. Fountain to fountain to fountain. And some of us are in that place today right now. We've been going from fountain to fountain to fountain. And right now, we're looking around, we're feeling, we're sensing the emptiness. We see the patterns, we see what's happened as we've done this, the pain and the suffering. And what God wants to say to us today is he says, there's only one fountain that can satisfy. And that fountain is me. And he wants us to come to him. But here, the beauty, beautiful part about that, too, is, is we're talking about a God of abundance, right? 
So that's what I loved about the bubbling springs picture there, is that God doesn't say, come to me and get a drink. God says, come to me. I'm a geyser. Going to have more than you ever. He doesn't say, come to me and have a sip. He says, come to me. I'm a river. You have all the water that you could possibly need and you could possibly want. And that's what Jesus is referring to in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, there's a feast that's going on. And the uh, leaders of Israel are celebrating the moment in the wilderness when the children of Israel had needed water and Moses struck the rock and water came out and they had a celebration about that moment. And so they would celebrate and they would open a canal and water would come out and then they would celebrate the moment when God delivered his people by giving them water. At the moment that they did that, this is what happened. On that last day, at the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty, he didn't just, you know, speak it softly, but he said it so everyone would hear it. Right in the middle of this water is rushing out. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Now, there's a parenthesis here, so we can kind of get it in context. Here's the parenthesis. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everybody believing in him. So he's saying everybody will get the spirit who believes in him. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. So Jesus had not yet died and Jesus had not yet gone to heaven and be seated at the right hand of the father, entered into his glory. But here's what we know today. That has happened now. So this verse is true for us now. True for us in this day. He wants us to have his spirit. He wants to fill us with a water that will satisfy us, but not only satisfy us, but saturate us, soak us, and it will just be pressed down, shaken together, and running over that we will experience his love, his, you know, his presence with us. And that's what it means to understand this whole idea of being saturated by him. Now, I want to talk about, I'm just going to pause the button here for a minute. I want to talk about a phrase there in those verses that we read, and it's actually in uh, verse 29. It's in verse 29 of John 19, and it says this, a jar of wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop, on your notes, would you underline hyssop, hyssop branch, and held it to his lips. Now, every Jew who was listening or was underneath the cross, every Jew or every Jew that heard about a report of what happened, when, it, when they saw the hyssop or they heard about the hyssop, they would know exactly what was going on and exactly what this was pointing to. And I believe that if no other reason John put this phrase here or this, this sentence here, he put it here so it would draw us back to the spiritual meaning of what was happening on the cross. If some of you know this, that John actually referred to Jesus as the precious lamb of God the Lamb of God. So when this word hyssop is here, it's referencing what happened as recorded in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, the children of Israel were in captivity in Egypt, and the final plague was the death plague, where God was going to come with his death angel, and the firstborn of every family would die. And God said to his people, I want to spare my people from the pain and suffering and the death that the people of Egypt will go through. So here's what my people, I'm calling you to do. You will take a spotless, unblemished lamb and you will slay that lamb and you will cut its throat and you will bleed it into a bowl. And then you will take that bowl and you will get before your door and you will take a hyssop branch and you will put that hyssop branch in that bowl and then you will swab, swab the doorpost of your home. 
And then when the death angel comes, the death angel will pass over your home and that you will be spared from this incident and this happening. And John was drawing us to this place because he wanted us to realize that God had taken care of our deepest needs and that he was, by taking care of our deepest needs, he took care of also our spiritual thirst when we turn ourselves to Jesus, turn ourselves to him. Okay, so now how do we respond? One thing, real simple. Serve the thirsty. That's the response. Serve the thirsty. One thing that's interesting is that in John's recording of what's going on here is he didn't say who it was that gave Jesus a drink. You know, it, he could have, it could have been any number of people. It could have been John himself. We don't know. It could have been uh, uh, one of the three Marys who were there. Uh, it could have been uh, one of the Roman soldiers. And another incident actually says it was one of the Roman soldiers. But John leaves it vague, leaves it blank here. It could have been uh, uh, Nicodemus, for all we know, because we know that Nicodemus had come to a faith in Jesus and actually was making his faith more visible for others. It could be any number of people. And the beauty of him not telling us who is that we won't project onto who it was, but it'll be open that it is for everyone. It, it could have been the invitation to you. Will you give Jesus a drink? And that's what we want to draw our attention to right now because this is what Jesus said in Matthew 25. He says, Lord, the people said this, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And then this is Jesus' response, okay? I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. You were doing it to me. Some of you may know this. Mother Teresa, when she was alive, she had a, a theme verse for her life. You know, some of us have theme verses for our lives. Well, her theme verse for her life was the one we're looking at today. In the tra an older translation of the Bible, it simply says, I thirst, instead of I am thirsty. So that was her theme verse for her life. And if you went to any one of her homes that were um, designed to take care of the uh, homes for the dying, that were designed to take care of the lowest of the low, the poorest of the poor, when you walked into the home, you would immediately see on a living room wall something like this. And um, this is in one of her homes, actually, a picture of what you would walk in and see. And it was Jesus on the cross saying, I thirst. And this is what Mother Teresa says about this so moving to me. Our duty is to quench the thirst of Jesus by helping others who are thirsty. Our duty is to quench the thirst of Jesus when he said, I am thirsty, by helping others who are thirsty. Here's what she says. We cannot help Jesus on the cross, but we can offer help to those around us. We can offer help to those around us. And you know what, folks? It doesn't have to be some big thing. It doesn't have to be you going and dying on a cross for somebody. It can simply be this. When Jesus says, if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. Yesterday, I got to see this in action. Uh, I, I love it when our sister's closet event happens. I write about it, and I talk about it a lot, because... 
If there's anything our church does for me that epitomizes uh, the heart that Jesus has for people, for all of us, it's our sister's closet event. And so I got here on, uh, early on Saturday. I try to get here as early as I can, and I want to walk in because I want to photograph all the, all the tables and, and how this thing has expanded and actually exploded exponentially. So uh, when I walk down to this end of the building, the whole end of the student ministry room is just table after table after table with clothes piled high, all neatly stacked and all labeled so that when a woman comes in, she knew exactly where to go to find what she would want, and she was served in that way. 75 people volunteered to make this event happen on Saturday. And so then I walked into this part of the building, and it's now expanded all the way across our lobby. There was at least 200 pairs of shoes in the prow. I was blown away. And first of all, I was thinking about, where did we get all this stuff anyway? (laughs) I mean, ladies actually have that much extra in their closets, you know? So, uh, and one woman told me, well, the problem is, is that our clothes just keep shrinking. (laughs) (laughs) But I was, and and then you just looked at the women, and as they just filed in, uh, single file, they're filing in, and they're going, and their eyes are just glowing, and they're, they're looking at, you know, their sizes, and they're, they're looking for their, uh, their friends, what they could get for their friends as well, and, and just realize that there are women, they're coming in those doors, and these women would have no other way to buy anything for themselves at all, anything, and so now they're having a chance to have something that would, would cause them to feel respect for themselves and then respectable as well. And so I just love that event. And what's really cool about it, as now it's expanded, is next weekend we're having kids' closet and we're doing the same thing all over again. And same women, many of them are going to come, I'm sure, who have youngsters, and they're going to go all through our building again, and they're going to pick up kids' clothes. And so if you have kids' clothes still at home and your kids have outgrown them and they're in good shape, bring them down because we need them by next Friday. So next Saturday morning we do the whole thing over again. Folks, that was a cup of cold water. You should see the faces. You should see the responses. You should hear the gratitude expressed because we were willing to do something, even a cup of cold water to help someone else have their thirst quenched, their thirst satisfied. So I just want to ask this question. Are you willing to do that? And then a second question I want to ask is, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Because look what it says in Isaiah 55. It says, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free because of what Jesus did on the cross. So here's the cool thing, the cool thought I want to leave you with. The only one who can quench your thirst is the one who said, I am thirsty. And he's offering to quench our thirst. Let's pray. I'm just overwhelmed again this week, God, by the cross and by Jesus. And I just am so grateful that we've been looking at him over these last few weeks. But specifically today, the question is, are you thirsty? And there are people here who have never even understood what Jesus Christ offered, let alone been willing to say yes to him. We're not asking you to be religious. 
They're asking you to establish a relationship. And so if today you'd want to say, I'm thirsty, and I want to say yes to Jesus, I'm going to give you a chance right now. You would just say, yes, yes, Jesus. I need you. I'm thirsty. I'm spiritually thirsty. I've been looking everywhere, and you know. You know what I've done. You know the sin of my life. Will you make me clean? Will you forgive me? Jesus, will you fill me with your spirit? Will you guide me, God? Because I want to be led by you in this life. Father, I pray for all of us today. I pray that you would help us to be aware, just aware of the people around us. We pass by, we look over, we judge. We ignore the least of these. And Father, I pray today that we'd be inspired to be people who give cups of cold water, refreshment, that flow out of the bubbling spring inside of us. Because we're coming to a geyser. We're sipping from a, drinking from a river. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.